Welcome to the Empowered Parenting for Emotional Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Day, a mom who believes in the power of education to bring hope and light to our families' lives. Through interviews with mental health experts and advocates, we will learn how to best support emotional resilience in our children, tweens, and teens. Everyone, I have Chris Paget here on the podcast today, and I'm really excited to have him on the show. He's a former detective from Florida and worked on a lot of cases online involving children and the safety of children online. So I thought he'd be a great resource for us to learn about online safety for our children. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Um, So can you give us kind of a brief history of what you did in the uh, online world or some of the maybe cases or the history of your, you know, your work that you did in Florida? Sure. So um, I was a law enforcement officer in a community right outside of Jacksonville, Florida, and I was a deputy sheriff there initially working patrol. Um, in patrol, you do see a plethora of things. Um, patrol are the boots on the ground team members who, when the community is in distress or in need, and they make that telephone call to 911, and they need police services, patrolmen and women are the ones who respond first. Um, that initial investigation starts there, and then it progresses into the direction needed. The opening came for the violent crimes unit, and um, I was eventually selected for that team. And then also um, tryouts for SWAT and made the SWAT team and uh, did six years there on the team. Responded to a lot of severe cases and a lot of um, incidents where very traumatic stress and um, public distress were involved. From violent crimes, um, eventually there was an opening in the investigative unit for general investigations. So an opening came up in special victims, and that's where I was um, somewhat introduced to cyber crimes, cyber bullying. Um, just prior to that, um, we had had some teen suicides in our community, kind of um, expanding my interest in um, what was going on with our teens and my concerns with what they were dealing with. There was a need for cyber education to our youth, but not only to our youth, to our parents. And we made a determination that we needed to educate our community mm-hmm. on cyber safety. Let's, let's lead the mm-hmm. state of Florida and do these presentations. And that's where our endeavor started. So just the background of working various things, seeing so much and starting to get an understanding of what our youth was going through and what our parents were unaware of and the misunderstandings that they had. Um, kind of laid that groundwork to build. Um, I'll finalize with this. During that time, um, I was also working with a group called Quigley House, which is a domestic battery and sexual assault center. And we started correlating a lot of the things that they were dealing with, with our youth were also stemming from online. We said, you know, we've got to get on top of this or else it's going to be too detrimental and too late. So what are some of the themes that you're seeing with, you know, what are some of the most prominent or uh, common online crimes that you see or that you saw or that are still existing today? Sure. So a lot of the things that we were seeing 
um, was the start of cyberbullying. It's things we didn't encounter yeah. growing up. Right. And I used to tell parents at the presentation that, you know, when we were children, bullying was in person. Someone had to be gutsy enough to look at you in the face and pick right. on you and mess with you and then hope you didn't punch them or do something yeah, back, right, right? right? So there was face-to-face -face mm -hmm. confrontation and conflict, whereas now there's anonymity. Right. Folks can sit behind a computer screen. They can harass and bully and intimidate and scare and place fear and then use all of those things combined to blackmail and to manipulate our youth. And so the crimes we were seeing were stemming from, let's say a young lady sends nudes to someone on a platform like Kick, which mm -hmm. I know that's pretty much obsolete now, but at the time, Kick yeah. was a new and upcoming platform and it offered anonymity. So a young lady sends her nudes there because she thinks she's talking to a 15 year old young man and he's promised her the world and she right. thinks he hangs the moon and she's never even met him. And then when she chooses that, uh, chooses to stop because that were, you know, was a poor decision. Now she's being told if you don't send more, if you don't do this in the pictures, or if you don't send me a video of you doing this, mm -hmm. I'm going to blast this to everybody. And that's where we started seeing the crimes and the bullying and the intimidation to the point that suicide began getting connected amongst our youth to the cyberbullying that they were experiencing. You know, it's taking advantage of children's budding sexuality in a very perverse way, obviously. You know, they're, yep. I mean, it's normal to, you know, explore or do whatever, but it's not normal to perversely solicit children. So that's Correct. the um, the big difference there is that they're using these children for their own, you know, joy or whatever they get out of this. So it's really sad. So would you say that that's the most common online offenses going on is, is bullying or what else might be happening? I feel like the exploitation of our youth is very prevalent online um, through the nude pictures and things like that. Um, as you said, young people make poor decisions because they're young. I mean, it's right. just plain and simple, right? Yeah. Developing brains. Yes. Um, and they're easily persuaded. And that's why mm -hmm. peer pressure mm -hmm. is so powerful. And peer pressure can be good or bad. It depends on what the pressure is. Is it right. to do right or to do wrong? Right. Well, in the social world, what our youth are encountering is they're encountering these superstars who, you know, tend to be more... Um, prone to sexuality and things like that. And, and these are actors or musicians or whoever it may be. And these are adults. And so they're seeing this and now mm -hmm. they believe that that's the way to act. And so right. then when they're persuaded by someone online to act in that manner and then send it and transmit it. Right. And that's the problem is our young people think that they can trust anyone. And, and as adults, we have seen people who we thought we could trust and then we couldn't. And so you build a callus up over the years right. that makes you leery or um, untrustworthy, you know, or untrusting right. to other people who appear to be untrustworthy. <laughs> right. Well, you have so the experience. I say that to say this, right. They haven't experienced those things. So when someone solicits them online and says they're a 15 year old young man, and this young lady sends these pictures, she thinks, number one, they're never going to go anywhere. She thinks that this is a 15-year-old young man, 
And she thinks that it's just going to dissolve and go away because, again, they're not educated enough on the parameters of the online world at this point in time. Right. And so that is what I believe is most prevalent is the fact that we've got young people who are being exploited. And that exploitation, I fully believe, leads to the bullying, leads to the blackmail and the harassment. And in some worst case scenarios, human trafficking and things that just absolutely terrify me to think about when I've been in human trafficking schools and went through the courses and worked with young people who have been victims of that. And I see what it does and how it traumatizes them and the effects. And so I think that that is what the worst case scenarios are today. And I, I tend to think it's progressing. So I feel like just the fact that, you know, they were kind of solicited and then they did share and there becomes, you know, a point where maybe it becomes like they're ashamed and shame is a huge catalyst for depression, anxiety, suicidality. And so I feel like, you know, never mind the bullying itself, like just that alone is, you know, a a precursor to emotional problems being bullied yourself. But then when you've done that and you're bullied with your own material, it's like doubly hard, you know, because it becomes this shameful event as well. And so it can be catastrophic if you thought this was a private thing and then suddenly it was shared to everybody. And you think, oh my gosh, like what happened, you know, and you can't take it back. And the shame is there. And it might be people you know in the group that it was shared to, might not be people you know, but either way, it's shameful. So, you know, it's devastating for for kids. So is it girls mostly who get predator, you know, do predators go mostly just after girls or does it happen to boys too? It certainly happens to young men. Um, I believe statistically you'll find that more young ladies are solicited um, toward this manner, but that is not to exclude our young men. And um, it, you know, is something that is very severe and that I I think a lot of parents, they don't consider that it could occur to their son per se. So it's something that, you know, as a father of two boys, I've had to seriously attempt to regulate and stay on top of and educate my mm-hmm. children. And education is key. Um, as parents, sometimes we want to shelter and kind of stand in front and let them be in our shadow. And sometimes the shadowing is not the best you know, way to handle it. They need to know, not from life experience right. of the mistakes and the things like that, but through education of, hey, here's an example of an incident that occurred, here's how it occurred, and here's how you can prevent it occurring. Right. And so I think that as parents, we sometimes exclude our young men from being solicited or being victims of human trafficking or um, being exposed to this type of solicitation, but that would be foolish to to think that it doesn't happen to them. So it do, it's really open to anybody, really. It could be uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so scary. Do you have statistics on, um, you know, how many children become cyberbullied or, you know, different types of uh, online crimes? Like, you know, how many kids actually do get affected every year by this? Do you have any stats on that? 
Sure. And some of these stats may be a bit outdated um, because statistics are constantly changing. And it also depends on who's running those statistics and what programs they're using. But Mm -hmm. as of some of the latest statistics, around 83 percent of young ladies, teenage girls, I believe from the ages of 13 to 18, have experienced cyberbullying. I believe that it's around 65 to 70% of our young men, 13 to 18, have experienced cyberbullying. Um, uh, a lot of people will probably chuckle at this, and, and it is, you can laugh, but it is serious. Young ladies tend to be more brutal than the yeah. young men. Oh yeah, I, I definitely. In the online world. So I think that in my opinion, from my experience as a previous law enforcement detective working these things, I do believe that our young women are solicited more um, than what our young men are. I think that the statistics would probably show that if you could get true and accurate. Um, and, you know, a lot of the cyberbullying stems from that. Not all of it, though. Um, right now, um, cyberbullying reports tend to come more from young people who are utilizing Instagram. Uh, but Instagram and Snapchat tend to be the most yeah. um, dominant there. Mm-hmm. And the cyberbullying comes um, more through Instagram, believe it or not. And yeah, I think that I that's do. because it is so focused on image-based yep. material. Yes. And so that's where you're seeing the young ladies get cyberbullied and so forth. But solicitation um, statistics are a bit difficult. And, and I'd, I'd be honest with you, even when you get numbers, I don't always know that they're true because right. there's so many people who unfortunately don't even report right. or parents who intervene and they don't want this made public or reported. Right. And it, it's sad, but I think that the statistics would probably be higher than what we would even be able to calculate. Right. So can you talk about uh, when people are bullied online, what can happen as a result? Like bullying is... I don't know. I just think it's so devastating um, emotionally because it's so peer based. And, you know, at this age, everything revolves around that, you know, being liked and being accepted and um, bullying is just devastating and it can really ruin their self-esteem. And so what kind of um, after effects do you see when someone is bullied from, you know, the milder things that could happen to them versus sometimes really bad things can happen? Sure. So I've seen it all the way from teenagers who are being bullied, dealing with depression and self-esteem issues, lack of confidence, um, withdrawal, societal anxiety, um, things of that nature. That's on, I say this and and then I'll clarify, but that's on the lower end of the spectrum per se of Mm -hmm. worries and issues that parents have about the cyberbullying. But don't let that be disguised as something that's not important because those issues, the depression, the societal anxiety, and, you know, those things are very, very important. And we should be paying attention to those things as parents on the higher end. um, And what we're comparing that to is of course, suicide, Um, suicide or the attempt thereof is the worst end of it. And unfortunately we have seen, a very large amount of that through the online world. Um, Teen suicide prior to the internet occurred. I mean, we all know that. I I knew a couple teenagers in high school who committed suicide. Um, 
But after the introduction of the internet and social media platforms specifically, we have certainly seen an increase of it. And um, so that is the most, you know, obvious negative effect of the cyberbullying. But it it comes down from there. But even the lower end problems, quote unquote, yeah. are still big problems right. and they have lifetime effects that well, we should be helping our youth deal with. And depression. I mean, you can be a little depressed, but then you can be severely depressed and then suicidal. So depression, just because it might not be that bad to begin with, can become worse, you know, over time. The other thing that I think too is like the bullying itself causes, you know, those problems. But we know what I encountered in my own experiences with my daughters is, um, you know, there were groups that it's not only the fact that you're bullied, it's the fact that you can find support to be suicidal. So, for example, there was an Instagram group and they were posting emojis and little pictures and ha ha, this is so funny and why don't you kill yourself? And there's a guy pointing a gun to his health to his head laughing and um, here's somebody pouring bleach in a drinking glass. Oh, isn't this all so funny? You know what I mean? So I believe that either of these kids who are depressed either can find other kids that are also not in a right state of mind and then they feed off of each other. Um, Or sometimes they find outright encouragement. And, you know, when you have a suicidal child, you know, that is not what you want to be influencing them at that moment because they're walking a knife's edge of life and death. And it just takes that one attempt and they can be gone, you know? So when they're on that precipice, you know, you want someone pulling them towards the good side, not pushing them over the edge to actually go and do it. So I don't know if you've seen a lot of that yourself, like a lot of, you know, I know we encountered it like the, you know, the how to kill yourself website. I mean, it's ridiculous, that there's like support. And I was talking to a friend and, you know, kids are cutting. We Like you and I, our, our friends, like I never heard of that when we were younger, that nobody was doing that, but it's almost like they find a place to learn what they can do. Like, and you know what I'm saying? So it affects what the way that they're responding to depression, like they're cutting their arm or whatever they're doing, but you know, they learned it online, obviously it's a place to go learn these kind of, you know, uh, unhealthy choices that are influencing them. So I think that's huge too, not just the bullying part, but the, the toxicity that exists out there that they can partake in and they, you know, they want to feel accepted. So they find a group that's also that way. It's awful, awful. So we had horrible experiences with that. So did you see some of that too? You know, some, encouragement type of things or sure um we had a span of uh you know less than one year where we had multiple teen suicides all from one high school in our community we believed that cyberbullying played a part um it was very difficult to conclude that that was the reasoning behind the teen suicide but there was peer pressure there with suicidal thoughts, tendencies, and eventually actions. Right. Um, so yeah, there's definitely peer pressure can be positive or negative. Right. Um, peer pressure is not always a bad thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. it gets labeled that way, but 
peers can encourage people to do well or encourage them to do negative. So besides, um, so would you say, you know, like sexual crimes are the biggest crimes online towards children? Are they the, the most prevalent of everything you see? Are there other kinds of things? Um, you know, like I know that we came across a website. I was trying to suicide proof my house and I Googled that and I found a website that actually taught you how to kill yourself. So, Oh, I just was so disgusted. I just could not believe it was so cheerfully done and so happy. And it told you how many ounces of this to drink or whatever this to do. And it was just sickening to me that people are doing that, but why is someone allowed to do a website like that? Is it free speech or can that be taken down? Like, are there laws that are protecting? Can, you know, federal government or whatever, look at these people that are doing these things online and do anything about it? Or is it protected? I'm just wondering. So in some cases it can be protected. Um, In many cases within the United States, um, there are legalities against such websites. Um, it's so specific as to how they present it, um, what is within that website and terms and conditions and things of that nature. I mean, there are ways to report these type of websites, so don't think that there aren't. You know, you can go to ic3.gov and some of these websites and report fraudulent websites or fraudulent telephone calls. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times with these type of websites, you know, suicidal assistance websites and some of the pornography websites that exploit our children and things like that. It's not as, you know, open as to how to report these things. And a lot of times I don't think people know exactly how to handle it. And then it just grows. And the problem is, is that there's a market for these things, sadly. And on top of that, you know, it is very hard a lot of times to track down those IP addresses and to really locate these offenders as many times they're not even within the United States of America. So again, it it falls back to yes, report, of course, but also regulate and be involved with your children and educate. Right. So who would you report it to? Just the police locally? Or who would you tell about if you saw something that was suspect? So my first recommendation is always to report it to local law enforcement. Local law enforcement are going to have more resources available to them. They're going to have access to programs, to people, to places that they can submit information to, and they're going to be able to dig deeper. Um, This is the scary thing, right? So let me give you just an example. You're a parent and your child tells you about an inappropriate website And then you jump on your home computer and you start digging around, trying to look into this, and you do a week's worth of research before you report it. Well, these are things now that are on your computer, linked to your IP address and Mm. potentially downloaded on your device. Be very cautious with those things. Um, That's why it's so much better to contact local law enforcement, let them come and see what your child or what you have found and let them do the digging deeper because they have the devices to do that type of research on. They have the means and the protection and most are um, connected with Homeland Security Mm -hmm. and other organizations that really jump into this and monitor it. So that is always my first recommendation before diving in 
just reach out. I would have never thought about that, that the fact that if you do your own, you know, homegrown research or whatever, then it's, you're the one that's actually out there and who's to know if you could be, you know, flagged for correct being in trouble or being involved, right? So don't get yourself yeah, ready. something to be waters. cautious of. Wow, I never really thought about that at all. Oof, scary. Um, well, and it's just pretty, I mean, you know, like you're a trained professional and you're used to it and you know what to do. So, and it's also kind of traumatizing, I think, if you think your child is, has been, you know, touched by these people, you know, online or whatever, but um, to go and look further and to see what's really out there, it could traumatize you as a parent too, you know, to see really the depth of what is out there on, um, out there in the web. So um, what would you say, like, are there filters or apps or things that can help to kind of make sure that certain things don't even reach your children ever on their laptop or their phone or, you know, what would you recommend for that? Do you know of any? So that's a tough question. And I'll tell you why, because, um, the websites, the apps, the people, the um, platforms that are trying to exploit our youth are ever adapting and changing. Mm-hmm. So if I give you a recommendation today of an app or a you know downloadable um, program to monitor and to filter, that's going to change tomorrow. And I used to tell the parents this at our cyber safety because I would always get this question and they would say, you know, what's the best way to lock this down? And besides the, you know, um, cliche answer of Google it, (laughs) because honestly, that's the way to stay on top. What is what is the most updated platform to use Mm -hmm. um, and educate yourself there? But I would always tell parents that nothing is substitute for parental involvement. Hmm. Nothing. You can get every app and download it and platform that says it's safe to filter your children's online activities and all of this, but nothing is substitute for parental involvement. You will always be a better filter. You will always be a better connection. You will always be a better platform as the parent because you know your child's activities. You know how they act. You know when you walk in the room and they drop their phone real quick, or you know that they've been on their phone for the last hour, and when you go to check it a little later, there's no internet history for the whole day. Mm. That, that's a telltale. Yeah. Your children are doing something that they're trying to cover up or erase. Right. And we can be mad at them all day long, but that's what young people do. Um, we were just fortunate. We didn't have the internet when we were teenagers oh, I, really? because there's no telling what you or me may have gotten into. Teenagers explore. Yeah. And what gives you wisdom and knowledge and education and instruction as an adult typically comes from the mistakes you or your friends made when you're younger. We right. just weren't exposed to such severity. So right. to answer the question in short, after that long explanation is stay on top of it through Google and educating yourself with yep. the platforms that are available, but never substitute those things for parental involvement. So, you know, I've had this discussion with one of my daughters about, you know, you know, how much a parent should be observing or checking texts or that kind of thing. And of course, you know, she's 18 now, but she, she, or 19, (laughs) uh, she uh, disagrees that a parent should look at everything you're doing because she feels it's a violation of privacy. So what would you say? Because that's obviously a conversation a teen 
would have with a parent on average. It's very normal that, you know, a teen wants their privacy and it's very normal for a parent to want to know what's going on. So where's the middle ground or where, you know, because, and they do, I think too, they do have to learn to some degree, right? Because you won't be there for every step of the way. You won't be there when they're at school or whatever. So there has to be the education part for their own self and the choices that they start to make that are wiser along the way, you know, like, okay, I know this is a predator or I I can tell this is not comfortable. I'm not going to engage with that person or whatever. So what would you say to that, you know, meeting in the middle of that conversation? So I fully believe that all things in life require balance. First and foremost, doesn't matter what it is in life, there has to be balance. And that includes regulating, monitoring, and, you know, being involved with your children and their privacy. And the thing about it is, is it's tough. So I always tell parents, first and foremost, do not pick a battle that you can't win. If you tell a child or a young person or a teenager that if they do this, this is the consequence, and it's an unrealistic consequence, or it's something that you're not ever going to know about, don't pick that battle. Mm -hmm. Sure, work on it and things of that nature. But if young people are given perimeters that you can't even abide by as the parent, right. then they think that those perimeters never apply. And I feel like that's where they get out of balance. Right. And as a parent, if we set perimeters that are too difficult to keep, then we're out of balance because we're constantly struggling and focused on the negativity. Right. I think that as a parent, you have to be highly involved with your child. You have to educate them as to why you're setting the perimeters that you are setting and give them very clear expectations as to what their part is and expectations as to what your part is. So that's first and foremost in that portion. Um, this is what I'll say. The Internet is a highway. And the mobile device that you give to your child, whether it's an iPad or a cell phone or a laptop computer or anything that else you know, may be applicable there. That is a vehicle. All right. I have a 15 year old who just got his license. I'm not putting him behind the wheel of my vehicle on a highway without me there because he's not well-rounded enough. He's not good enough to drive on his own yet. And right. obviously state law forbids it. But right. the point is, is that you would never toss the keys to your 12 year old Tell them to get in your SUV and to drive on Interstate 25 here in Colorado mm -hmm. and let them go. You would be held accountable as a parent. They would not only destroy your vehicle, but possibly kill themselves and seriously harm other people, all because of your negligence of not educating them or trusting them with your vehicle or the responsibilities that go with it. Right. The internet's a highway. The device you give them to travel on the internet, that is that vessel, that vehicle. We would not allow them to travel in that vehicle on a public roadway without a proper license and proper instruction and knowing that they could do it appropriately. And I tell parents, do not let your child have an iPad, iPhone, or a laptop and just peruse the internet highway all by themselves. Right. They will harm themselves and they will harm other people. 
And it's just because they're not knowledgeable enough yet. And that's why you build upon it and you give them time. And as they progress, you give them more responsibilities and liberties. In the beginning, it requires parents to check history. It requires parents to know what apps are being downloaded. What social media platforms are they on? What type of communications are they having on those things? Right. And so we set rules in our home as to how that, you know, um, went. And, you know, our children weren't always ecstatic with it, but nonetheless, they did understand because we were very clear in the beginning how these expectations work. And then as they did better and time progressed, we gave them more responsibilities. So I found the big thing was for us was Instagram private groups. There's a lot of, you know, little mini groups that, that exist for different purposes. One of them was a pro-suicide group that was encouraging each other you know, to go for it. And it was just very toxic, but I didn't know, you know, that my uh, daughter was in there. So how can you know if there's a private group, you know, or I guess if like you're saying, set your parameters. So you would say no private groups. It can only be public ones where I can see what's going on now. And then I can pipe in or see your diatribes or that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, and then if you find out they're doing that and it was against your rules, then you would say, okay, then we're done with, we're deleting that app or whatever. Is that what you're saying? It's kind of like progressively uh, give responsibility. Set your to an extent. So here's what I'll say as a parent. So all you parents who are watching right now, keep this in mind. You will never know everything that your child is doing. So I've heard parents say, if you do something, I'm going to find out. No, you won't. Yeah, I, I you know. might find out some, <laughs> it's, but as I a know. parent, we will not Possible. know everything that our children is doing. Don't tell them that they're smarter than that. And yeah. if they think that you are saying things like that and they can get away with something, they're going to try to call your bluff on things. So right. I tell my kids all the time, guys, I am not going to know everything that you do, right. but I'll do my best to protect you, to help you and to be there to guide and direct you. And if you make poor decisions, the responsibility falls back into your lap as to what those consequences are. Right. And my children understand that and they've made some poor decisions, right? That's what young people do. As a parent, understand, first of all, you're not gonna catch everything they do. And second of all, that they are gonna do things that are outside the parameters and that you're gonna have to address. Right. And then address those things, follow through. Our children are an investment, pay attention to them talk to them. And the way that we set up, as of now, my 17-year-old is the only one who has social media. The rule in our house is when you get your driver's license at 16, you can pick one social media app to use. Because if I can trust you to drive my vehicle mm -hmm. by yourself on a highway, I should be able to trust you on social media. Right. And their friends had social media at 12. And there were three or four years that you know, my oldest was out of the loop and it was what it was. Mm -hmm. But when we set up the social media, I also put the app on my phone and I set the password. And our rule in, in our house is that you're not allowed to have your own password to anything until you're 18. At 18, you establish your own password, you change it all over. And then that's up to you. Mm -hmm. You're an adult and you have to make reasonable decisions. But Anything that my children do have besides social media, um, programs, apps, their cell phones, their computers, their iPads, because they have all of those things, yeah. we have the passwords to. 
Now, does that mean they can't go behind the scenes and set up accounts? And, you right. know, absolutely. I'm not so foolish as to think that they couldn't or right. that they haven't. Right. I don't know. But you've got to try your best. Right. And sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back. But right. you're still making progress. And the big, big, big takeaway is is literally even addressing it or setting parameters. Some people just say, yay, you turned 12. Here's your cell phone. Have a nice day. Like there's nothing much that goes on for even a conversation there. And it's just like, have at it. And they're young kids. And so, you know, it's amazing where they can go or who can find them and, you know, um, ways that there's professionals out there that know immediately how to engage with little kids, you know, like try to start soliciting right away. It's crazy. Sometimes it's how you set the perimeters ahead of time. So I'll give you an example real quick is that with my son, all of our children had iPhones at 10 years old. Now there's people who are watching this right now whose jaw just dropped, but we lived in a day and time where our kids did competitive gymnastics at the time. They traveled a lot. They weren't always with us and landlines are pretty much obsolete, right? So we got our kids iPhones so that we could track them so that they would have immediate access if they needed. But here's the perspective and the way that we went about it. When my oldest got his iPhone at 10 years old, we didn't give him the iPhone. And then after he got, he's all excited to say, now, son, you've got to take an educational course with dad for an hour and this, that, because he would have been bummed like, dad, I get it. Right. (laughs) What we did is beforehand, we said, look, we want to consider getting you an iPhone. We want you to learn some things about online safety and so forth. And if you learn these things and you feel comfortable, then we'll get it for you. Okay. All right. I'll do it. He was excited to take the classes, to sit down with dad, to walk through all the dangers of it. And he did. And then he got his phone. So it's about how you present it. Do you give the phone and then tell them that they've got all these responsibilities because they're not going to want to partake? Right. Or do you say, hey, if you complete all these, you know, parameters that we want to set, then we'll give you these liberties. So you're setting up an expectation before you give that responsibility and they kind of earn it and show that they can be capable of the responsibility versus here you go. And now we're going to backtrack and put band-aids on what's going wrong you're kind of addressing it. Right. There's a reason they give, they give the restrictor license at 15 years old. Right. So that young people can have a year to understand exactly what the responsibility of driving is. And then if you complete that year and you do well, then we give you the liberties to drive on your own. The same concept with the online world and the internet and our mobile devices. Right. That makes total sense. it's amazing to me how much influence, you know, you think your child knows better. They don't. The predators know better. The internet knows better. Their friends know better. You know, they're, they're not going to like dissent against a group of friends. You know, they want to be, they want to like fit in. Right. So, um, and there always is a tribe for whatever state of mind you're in. If you're violently inclined or, you know, whatever, um, you can find other people who are that way and then you band together and then you incite each other and you get each other to feel like that's okay because you're a part of a group that, that agrees that it's okay. And that's the same way with harming yourself or suicide or any of that bullying. Even there's groups that are mean, you know, they're just mean and they encourage each other to be mean and they mean to each other. And it's just like the culture that they're creating. So, sure. um, but like you said, peer pressure can be a positive thing too. So, 
So don't you think too, that our kids are, it's not just about their interactions either. I think too, you know, you have a phone in, in, in your site at all times, right? And boom, there's a tsunami in Nepal and, oh my gosh, somebody, there was a mass murder that went on in England or whatever, you know? So it's everything, all the, the ills and the woes of the world. And, you know, the bad news makes news first. So you're going to hear all about that. So it's like we're barraged every day with all this negativity and we're not meant to be that way. We're not meant to be bombarded with negativity every day. We were horse and buggy people that had a few neighbors nearby and you were a part of this tiny community. You didn't see all the ills of the world every day, right at your doorstep in your mind. So I feel like it's kind of depressing everybody and our children. I mean, why do they need to even know most of this stuff? You know, it's just sad. If they didn't have that, what would they even know of these things? None of it. They just wouldn't. You know, so the right. simpler days are gone, and I feel like it's only served to really depress our children more than anything. So, um, like you said, we have to be kind of proactive in how we let them interact on there because it can be toxic. I mean, there's a lot of cool things. There's, you know, there's apps for creativity and drawing and, you know, making cool videos or whatever. But there also is a lot. It's the social world. We're social creatures, right? So we crave that. Sure. So unfortunately, some of that becomes toxic. So, you know, it doesn't take just social media for your children to be exposed. I mean, online gaming apps, things like that. Yeah. Predators are incredibly adaptive and they're constantly seeking. And I mean, it's no different than in the animal kingdom. Predators are camouflaging. They're, you know, seeking their prey. And they are attempting to get what they want. And so that comes in so many forms. You know, the online world, we can talk about it in a negative light or we can talk about it in a positive light, but it's filled with both. And so for just as much light, there's just as much shadow. And the main thing is, is to be sure that we are expanding that light into the shadows so that our children know what may be lurking in the dark places of the internet and what they need to be cautious for. You know, you wouldn't drop them off in New York city in the middle of the night and let them just roam the back alleys. Right. New York's a beautiful place. Right. The statue of Liberty and you know, the empire state building and the Brooklyn bridge has so much beauty all over the city of New York, but you have to be educated You've got to take the right paths and you've got to pay attention and be aware and be alert and not be deceived by its beauty alone. Right. And that's the same thing with the online world is it's a beautiful place. It's an information highway and it has so much to offer and it's easy to get deceived by the beauty of the internet and lose track of what could be lurking in some alleys or some dangerous places, you know? So that's what we have to educate our children on. Right. So that's my actual, that's my whole tagline for this um, entire enterprise is knowledge brings light. So to me, education is enlightening, right? And if you can be educated, you can chase away the darkness. And that's really about, you know, emotional wellness. It's about, um, you know, fighting against the things that depress our children and uh, oppress them. And, uh, you know, it's just keeping them safe emotionally, 
more than anything. So um, anyway, so I I appreciate it. Is there any final, just one last word of encouragement, advice to parents about the online world that we can leave everybody with and go from there? Sure. Parents, be involved. Educate yourself. Find out. Sit down. Turn the TV off. Put the phone down. Shut the lid to the computer and pay attention to those beautiful creatures that you've been blessed with in front of you and figure out what you can do to help them overcome the obstacles that they may be encountering because they are our future and they are the most important thing that we've been giving to move forward with a progressive and intellectual and balanced society. And it's important to make sure that we do that. Thank you so much. So inspiring. I know a lot of you saw a lot of difficulty in your work and you saw a lot of probably the worst things that could ever happen. And it's given you a whole other perspective than most people could ever have because you know what can happen. And, you know, it's important maybe not to be fearful, but to be proactive um, in protecting our kids and helping them be the best they can be. So I appreciate your time and thank you for being here. It was very informative and wonderful and I appreciate your lending your expertise to us. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Remember parents, we can empower ourselves through education. I believe that knowledge brings power, hope, and light. Let's do all we can to ensure that our children lead the happy, healthy lives that they deserve. This is my mission, and this is my heart. See you next time. Find out more at hopefuldawn.com.